The When Dating Hurts podcast is rated one of the most popular relationships podcasts in the world. Why is that? It's our guests. Whether you're listening to subject matter experts or domestic violence survivors, you know you're hearing what you need to know. And that is the truth about dating and domestic violence. Why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, where it happens, and how victims become survivors. This podcast is a powerful way for you, your friends, and your family to stay informed and stay safe. Thank you for your support. The next survivor story comes with warnings. The story you're about to hear starts off slowly in part one, but by parts two and three, you will see lives coming apart and danger approaching rapidly. We are fortunate to have Barbara Walker come to us and tell her story. This is, in fact, the first time she will tell it from the very beginning to the end. When her ordeal was over and she had mostly recovered, her doctor said they were surprised that she lived. This is Barbara's story, part one of three parts. Today we'll be speaking with Barbara Walker whose story is just absolutely astoundingly horrible. And it's the first time she will have the opportunity to tell her story from the very beginning right up to today. Welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast, Barbara. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Barbara, if you could just turn the clock back to when you first met Austin. When was that? What were the circumstances? What did you think about him? at that time? We met in the fall of 2010. I was a bartender at one of our local bars and he came into the bar one night and we met through mutual friends and just started talking. And it was pretty brief that night. It was a busy night. We exchanged numbers. That was it at that point. Took about two months for us to continue to, you know, reach out to each other. He came into the bar a couple more times. There would be flirting. There was obviously some kind of attraction there. You know, I I thought he was handsome at the time and very friendly and funny. He invited me out on a date and I, I thought it would be a good idea. I didn't typically date my customers, but he was local, you know, so we had a lot of mutual acquaintances and everything like that. And I'd never heard anything bad about him at all. So in... The beginning of November of 2010, we went on our first date. It was a lunch date, went to a restaurant, had good conversation, and went and saw a movie and had a really nice time with each other. And pretty much knew from that point we wanted to continue and see where things went. He just seemed really genuine and upfront about everything. Um, He had told me he was still living at home. He led me to believe that he was a main financial supporter to his parents for their house. He did not end up being a main financial supporter at all. It was his parents' house. His parents paid all the bills. He just still lived at home. And if I had really realized that at the time, it kind of would have been a red flag for me because at 30 something years old, There's really no reason why you shouldn't have had some kind of independence from your parents. Things moved quickly. Things moved very quickly. They moved quickly because he was moving them quickly, or do you think it was a mutual thing? It was mutual that things were moving quickly, but it was more initiated by him. So January of 2011, we had been dating for three months. He moved in with me. He was already spending several nights there a week, and the suggestion came up that it would just be, well, if he was already there and his clothing was there, that, hey, you know, it would just be a good idea. So in January of 2011, he moved in, three months after we had been dating. I had met his parents. His parents were amazing people. Like It was just, it was moving fast, but we were on the same page with so many things. I'm 30, 31 years old at the time. I'm getting to a point in my life, you know, I want a big family. I want to get married. I want all of these things. 
he was wanting the same things and he was saying the right things to me and I was saying the right things to him. We really felt that it was right that we were going to be together and it was definitely the honeymoon period. I found out in March of 2011, I was pregnant. So again, moving very quickly, July 4th of 2011, he proposed to me. July 13th of 2011, we got married under his suggestion on the beach with his friends there. No family, none of my friends, but it was, everything was worded and it was such a sweep me off my feet thing that it was just like, wow, this is so romantic. This is, you know, this guy really wants to be with me and he's doing, you know, he's, he's just really going with it. I never felt like there was like a pressure, like, Hey, let's get married now. Let's do this now. It was just, we were both on the same page about wanting to be married. We were both on the same page about wanting to start a family. So when those things were happening, I didn't look at it as like, whoa, this is happening too fast. I'm looking at it as, okay, I've met the right guy. This is the time. This is, you know, how things should be. Why are we waiting, right? Yeah. Why wait? Why wait? If we're both at the same stage of our lives and we both want the same things, why wait? Barbara, what did you think of his friends at that time? I knew most of his friends already. Although, you know, at the time when we had first started dating, they were just customers that would come into my bar that we would have, you know, acquaintances with. I knew his friends. So I figured if there was anything I needed to be worried about, somebody would have said something. Yes. I didn't hear, you know, we all got along. We all hung out together. It was good. I mean, it really felt like all of the pieces were just falling into place. Do you feel like his friends knew things and they just decided to keep them quiet? Did you figure out later that they, they kind of knew that, that he, there was another side to him, dark side? I found out later that his friends had heard things. They had never really seen anything because, again, they're his friends. He was trying to keep that good guy face to them, the people that mattered the most to him. So they were not really expecting what happened. They had just kind of heard things over the years themselves, but didn't really take it you know, seriously because it conflicted so much with what they saw of him. What do you think they heard? Was it temper things? What was it? Violence? Was it anything like that? No, that it was stalking when it came to women, not being able to, you know, not being able to just let someone go, that he would follow them. So a relationship doesn't work out, and all of a sudden right. now he's kind of like uh, a little in, the, creepy. in the shadows lurking somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't hear any of this. I didn't know any of this until after this happened. And, you know, all of his friends checked on me to see, you know, obviously after the incident to see how everything was because we had built friendships over the years. They all said we'd kind of heard things, you know, in the past, but we never saw anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like he would have in high school, he had the nickname Stalker Walker. Oh. So they just took it as like a joke, like, you know, one girl got mad or something and, but nobody ever, it never went anywhere. It's not a great moniker, but on the other hand, it doesn't mean we're dealing with a criminal here. Right, right. Yeah. They never, yeah. they never personally came in, into any interactions where his, his behavior was inappropriate or yes. would give them concern in that nature. So now you're married and the baby's on the way. Everything is still good. Our oldest daughter was born uh, December of 2011. You know, everything is still the dream. It's still ideal. We're moving on. We're saving money to buy our own house. I was renting a house at the time. So we're, we're just, you know, working and living and being happy. Holidays come and go. Family events come and go. Everything is good until October of 2012, right before our daughter turned one. And, you know, with this, we were even talking about having another child because we both wanted a big family. So we were already in by October of 2012. We're sitting here going, okay, you know what? It's almost a year. We were going to wait a year in between. You know, are we going to start the talk about more kids? So we were already in that process. And he came home early from work one day. And I was, I remember I was in the dining room with my daughter and he comes in. I'm like, oh, you're home early today. He's like, yeah. He's like, it's the strangest thing. He goes, I think I tore my bicep at work. He goes, I, I was lifting and moving something and I hear this loud pop and I have some pain, but it's not bad. But of course, you know, they made me come home. Okay, no problem. You know, we're going to deal with this. Turns out he did hurt his bicep. And the day before Thanksgiving of 2012, 
he had surgery to repair it. We spent the day with him at the clinic, waiting for him, his parents, me, the baby. We were all there. Surgery went well. Everything was fine. We're getting ready for the holidays again. We're right back on track. He can't go back to work until the end of January, you know, once he gets his doctor's clearance. And he can't go back to work until the end of January once we get his doctor's clearance. So we get the clearance the end of January. Three days later, we receive a letter in the mail from his company that he has been let go that he's been laid off while he was on medical leave. What was he doing for a living at that time? He was an electrician. He did new construction uh, electrician. So they would go to job sites where they're laying the foundations and groundwork, and he would run the electrical supply lines and get the building set up. Is it something where you would normally possibly tear a bicep? Yes, especially on new construction. Especially on new construction, because you're, you, there are the um, plastic tubes that hold the run lines. Yes. And they're very large, and they can be heavy, and they can be surrounded by concrete. It's, when it's new construction, you're pretty much going from the ground up. So some of that is digging. Some of that is groundwork. So it's, it's possible. And his, you know, his job, it was all covered by workman's comp. So it was something that was a part of his job. Okay. They laid him off while he was on leave. And I think that just kind of really put him in a bad headspace. Okay. They laid him off. Do you have a sense of why? I mean, it was just cutbacks and things. There was never an answer. He just received a letter in the mail dated while he was still on medical injury leave that said, you know, you have been laid off effective this date. And it was before he should have even been back to work. So it's not like he had the opportunity to go back to work and they just said, hey, by the way, we don't need you anymore. What I was anticipating was there's some incident at work and he hurt his arm. No, no, nothing. I mean, I mean like with another person. So nothing like that. Nothing like that. So yeah, he's, he's out of a job. You know, we did end up um, hiring a lawyer and having a workman's comp claim, you know, against the company for the layoff and that worked out. He started drinking heavily after that. Uh, I mean, he just really went into, into a bad spiral. It really put him in a bad place mentally. That's where I think his mask started to slip. It was March of 2012, and I found out I was pregnant. Uh, one of the boy. things, yeah, one of the things we had talked about after he got laid off was, hey, listen, it's not the time. We need to hold off. But I didn't know it at the time. I was already pregnant then. You know, I'm now pregnant with our second child. He's not working. He's having a spiral. He's drinking, not really, you know, not, not having the ambition to go out and look for a job, just kind of doing nothing with his day. And it and wasn't much of a drinker before that? Socially. Socially, you know, but that would be it. I mean. Nothing to draw your attention to. No. Okay. I mean, he was, when I tell you, he's grabbing like a vodka bottle and just chugging it straight out of the bottle. Like he would get so upset because I would dump it down the drain and get rid of all the alcohol in the house. Well, then he would just leave, go to a friend's house and get plastered there. Uh, okay. That's when a lot of the problems started happening is he would leave the house. He would go hang out at his best friend's house who lived right down the street, get plastered, be the happy, fun guy, and then come home and want to, he would come home not until five, six in the morning. Oh, yeah, after I've already been home by myself all day with, you know, with the with our daughter. I'm pregnant with our second. I'm still working. You know, so our daughter's going to his parents' house, which they're happy. I mean, they his parents were so hands-on. Like they were just like, "Oh yeah, we'll take her anytime." You know, so that was never that was never an issue. But then he would come home 5 or 6 in the morning, no communication. And that's when problems would start. This part's going to be hard for me. So for him, coming home drunk and drinking all night, his priority would be sex. He would want to come home and have sex. At this point, I'm, I'm now five or six months pregnant. I'm still working. I'm working 12-hour days. I'm tired. I'm a little frustrated with the behaviors. We, I've tried to talk to him multiple times about it. And he would come home wanting to have sex and I would tell him, no, I'm sorry. I've, you know, I've got to get up in an hour or so with the baby. It's just no. 
And me telling him no was a very big trigger for him because then it would almost be, it's like a light bulb would go off. And it wasn't just about trying to force me to have sex. It was trying him trying to force me into submission. It was full on submission. It was grabbing me out of the bed and slamming me against a wall and putting his hands around my throat, telling me, you're going to do this. This went on. There were several times he did force me and then he would pass out, you know, from being so drunk. I would leave the room and go to the bathroom and cry or, you know, I remember one time I called his best friend. I I went outside the house and I called his best friend and I said, why would you let him come home that annihilated? Good question. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, did you not realize how drunk he was? And he's like, no, you know, he's like, I I didn't realize he was that drunk. So, I mean, I can't even say for sure that he was at his best friend's house the whole time, you know, or if he went somewhere else, or if he left his friend's house, say at 12 or one o'clock in the morning, because his best friend was also married, you know, made other stops, made other stops. I don't know. Part of me wishes I had asked his friend, do you know what he did to me? He just came home and did this so that there could be more people aware of my situation mm-hmm. that could have, you know, maybe said something to him or talked to him or, but I was still so shaken up just by knowing that he had that side to him. It was completely opposite from everything he showed me. And now, you know, it's like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm, I, I can't believe that this is the person that's there, that this is who I'm, I'm living with now. This is who I'm married to now. This is who I'm having children with. What happened to the guy that I knew about four or five months ago? Yeah. And at this point, it's, you know, almost two years, you know, since we had first gotten together. It's already, you know, we've already been married over a year. It was just, it was a shock. And the only thing that I did was kind of just shut down and throw myself into my routine, you know, going to work, taking care of the kids. Like, okay, you know what? The first time it happened, it was a one-time thing. He acted like nothing, like nothing you know, the next day. I was curious how he handled himself. There are no apologies. It's like, okay. Nothing. That was then, this is now, and let's get on with it. And it continued. It continued. He was going out, you know, two and three times a week, and the end result was always the same. He would come home. The only thing was is the longer it went on, I guess the less careful he was about leaving Mark's. He had choked me hard enough one time. I had swelling on my neck and I actually had blood vessels burst in my face. So I had the, I I believe it's called potassia where you get the small little red dots on your face and, you know, I'm putting makeup on it for work and things like that. And he still never, even seeing marks on me would never ask, oh my gosh, you know, did I do that to you? You know, what happened? Because then he could have just played dumb, like, oh, yeah, no, I was so drunk, I don't remember. But there was nothing. There was no acknowledgement of anything. Did you find yourself calling him on it at all? Like, do you realize what you did when you walked into the house last night? I didn't. Or were you afraid that that would be the next part of the same thing? I was afraid. I Yeah, I was afraid. It, it created a fear in me because this person that I thought I knew so well is now somebody I don't know at all. So is that confrontation going to cause a blow up? Is it going to cause something yeah. even worse? Right. A raging bull. Yeah. So. When you think about what he did when he got home, obviously the word rape comes to mind. Did you think of it that way? I did not. I never thought about putting that term to it. I just didn't think of, I just knew my answer was no, and that should have been enough. I never put the actual word to it. Would you put that word to it now? Yes. Yes, he did try and several times did succeed in raping me. Sorry, that's horrible. It's it's hard to think about a husband to a wife, you know, and using that term. Yes, of course. You know, because I know so many times that even, you know, you would hope that your spouse respects any boundaries, that if you're not in the mood and you don't want it, 
you know, simply saying something like no should be enough, you know, that everything should be mutual. So it's, it's, it's hard to put a word like rape into a marriage. It's extremely harsh, but with any objectivity, that's what happened. In August of 2012, he came home and it was particularly bad. And I actually ended up leaving the house. I ran out of the house. Where's your daughter when you ran out of the house? She was sleeping. She was sleeping in the next room in her crib. And you're thinking, I, I have to escape. I have to get out. I. This guy's going to finish the job on me. Yeah. He had been choking me. And I believe I told him I needed to use the bathroom. Like, you know, something as simple as, please just let me use the bathroom. I have to go yes. to the bathroom. And I left. I grabbed my keys and I left. And I drove about five minutes away. We were in a, a, a smaller town in Miami. So, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody. His parents lived five minutes away. You know, my job was right there. Everything was right there in that area. And I just got in the car and I started driving and I called his parents and I said, can I just please come over and use your restroom? Austin came home. It's been a very bad morning. I just need a minute to use your restroom. And they're like, of course, come over. And I walked into their house and went straight to the bathroom. Now they could look at me until I had been crying. Something had been going on. Not even five minutes later, he's bull rushing into their house. Oh. He figured you'd go there. Yeah, he figured I'd go there. And where's my, where's my wife? And where's your daughter now? Still back at the house? He had, he had left her at home. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. He had left her at home. One-year-old. Okay. One-year-old. Yes, one-year-old. Yeah. Okay, so there's a scene. So we got his parents, we've got you, we've got him. And what do we see? I hear him come into the house and his parents are in the kitchen. So he runs in. Is he yelling, where is she? Where is she? Yeah, where is she? Where is she? And his parents are like, calm down. What's going on? Why are you coming in here like this? His father said, hey, you need to... uh you need to control yourself a little bit. What's going on? He actually grabbed his father, shoved him into the cabinets. I'm in the bathroom, you know, which is relatively close to the kitchen, so I could hear everything. He started grabbing his father and shoving him into the cabinets. Where is she? That's my wife. And they're like, you need to go now. They got him out of the house. This was all very quick. So I haven't even been gone from the house 15 minutes tops well while all of this is happening because they're you know they're three minutes they live less than five minutes away from us this whole incident took i had just gotten to the house when he showed up so i had just gone into the bathroom to wash my face and everything this whole incident only took less than 15 minutes so somehow his parents escorted him right out of the house onto the front lawn or someplace they got him out of the house he left he realized something because i was able to actually go back to the house and he was sleeping 30 minutes after I left. He was back at the house, passed out. So I got her daughter. You know, she had still been sleeping, thankfully. Got her up, got her dressed, you know, and we went ahead and went back to his parents' house and everything. And we were there, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have people that are seeing this happen. I have a safety net. I have people that can protect me. And for me, it was kind of a, a little a sigh of relief, like, okay, somebody believes me, somebody's seeing it. It's not just me. You know, I'm not having to go running to the police. I'm not having, you know, later on in the day, he calls, you know, he's like, Hey, what's going on? You know, where are you guys? I'm like, well, we've been at your parents all day after your behavior this morning. We can't, we can't stay. And he's like, okay. And then I told him, I'm like, you need to go ahead and you need to pack some clothes and you need to come out of the house. You cannot come back to the house acting the way you're acting. We need some space. Mm -hmm. So he ended up, I left his parents' house. He came to his parents' house to stay there, and I went back home. He was out of the house for almost two months, crying to his parents. I have no idea why. I have no idea what's going on. His parents never even really confronted him about his behavior that morning. Never really questioned him like, why would you come into the house raging like that and, and grab your father like that? There was never that I'm aware of any point where they asked him, like, what's going on with you? They just took it as we needed space to figure things out. 
Mm-hmm. He stayed at his parents' house for about two months. And because they were so close, he was still, every day I worked, his daughter was over at his parents' house. You know, just, we were going to figure it out. We needed some space. We finally ended up talking. And it was at that point that I told him, look, if you ever put your hands on me again, I'm going straight to the police. This can't happen. This behavior cannot happen. You cannot continue to drink the way you're drinking. Whatever's going on, you need to. No more alcohol in the house. You have to choose. You have to choose your priorities right now. And he did. He did the whole, I'm so sorry. You know, I was just in a really bad place. This this has given me time to figure things out. It'll never happen again. And you bought it. And I bought it. I bought it because... At the end of the day, I was justifying the behavior. I was saying, okay, you know what? How would I, I, now, I know I wouldn't do what he did, but what would my mindset be if I have a family now and I've got hurt at work and now I'm laid off and I don't have a job to go back to and I have that pressure on me of, you know, providing for my family? It's a convincing apology. It, it is. And, and I still, I take my commitment seriously. I didn't want to just throw away a marriage with children and put them in that environment that, you know, the whole co-parenting, I made commitments and I was going to see them through. So we had issues. We worked through those issues. Okay, let's move forward. The problem with that is the damage was done. That even though he didn't raise his hands to me again, there was a fear of him inside of me now. A fear, am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to do the wrong thing? Is he going to have one too many beers? Is he going to cross that line again? That was always on the back of my mind. Always. Every move I made, I constantly felt like I was just on eggshells and walking around looking for it to happen again, even though he said it never would. That makes perfect sense. Absolutely. He used to have what we would call his annual meltdowns. And even his family called it that. And it was about once a year, usually around the holidays. Of course, when things are busy, you have kids, all of our children's birthdays, October, November, December. So, you know, we've got, it's, I call it marathon season because it's really, it's a birthday in October and then Halloween, a birthday in November and then Thanksgiving, two birthdays in the beginning of December. And then You know, we have Christmas and New Year's. It's literally a marathon. And it was always around that time where he would come home and the demeanor was just different. Like he was sullen and kind of seemed like he was pouting about things and just the way he would just stare, just not want to communicate. He would stop communicating. And I'm sitting here going, okay, what's going on? You know, and I would try to draw, I remember the first time it happened, I was like, what's going on with you? And of course, in my head, I'm thinking, did I do something? Did I say something wrong? Like, okay, is this going to be it? Yes. And this would usually go for about a week where he would just become more and more withdrawn, more snappish, just even with the kids, just had no patience until it was a blow up, until he would, you know, just say, I can't do this anymore. You focus on everybody but me. I'm not a priority. We don't have enough sex. Like it was always about sex. These blowups that he would have, because I think I'm in a way I'm kind of underplaying it, even talking to you about it, because it wasn't just sullen. It wasn't just pouting. It wasn't just not communicating or being snappish. There was more to it. There was little arguments started. He's waiting for me to escalate arguments. You know, and a couple of times I would fall into it. I would just have enough and and blow up at him, you know, and just yell or raise my voice. And he would look at me and he'd just kind of get this look in his eyes like, see, I know you're crazy. You know, and it's I'm just sitting here like you were just egging me on to get a reaction. And now you're calling me like it, it was just this whole week of just escalation in so many different ways. And it was always the same thing every year. It was, you're such a wonderful mother. I am so glad you're the mother of my children. You're a horrible wife. Uh, You put everybody but me first. The reality, what it boiled down to was, he worked during the day. 
I worked at night. So during the day, I'm taking care of the house. I'm taking care of the kids. I'm taking care of the doctors. Then I would work at night. I would work from 6 p.m. to 12, 1, sometimes 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh. And then he would expect me to come home and take care of him. He never wanted to communicate about it. No, no, I was his wife. The expectation was just there. You know, and again, it came back to me saying no or me just not initiating. It was never enough. I was supposed to initiate everything. I was there to please him as his wife and I wasn't doing my duty. So he finally would have enough and just have these meltdowns. You mentioned uh, the the idea that you are crazy. Was that another one of the underlying currents, almost like gaslighting? You're you're kind of off balance, crazy too. Besides the fact that you're not a great wife, but a but great mother, not a great wife. Hindsight is definitely one of those things. I mean, looking back, I definitely feel that he would gaslight. He would set up certain scenarios to cause reactions out of me that he would just egg situations on and arguments and I could never be right. And, you know, just, just this back and forth, just to get a reaction out of me, he would for sure tell me that I didn't remember things the way that I remembered them, that, that I was crazy, that he never said this, or he never did that when I know for a fact he did. It was just this constant cycle of making me question myself, making me start to question reality. Yes what's going on here? I'm constantly being told that I'm the problem. You know, I know I'm already feeling like I have to watch over my shoulder. I know I'm already feeling like I can't trust him if he's had one or two drinks. What's going to be the line to where it becomes a problem again? So I'm constantly already in this, like, watching everything all the time. Well, what am I missing? Am I, am I, am I the one missing pieces now? Am I not hearing things the right way? Am I not saying things the right way? Am I really the problem? Yeah. You have to read between the lines, everything. I mean, you have to be thinking 360 the whole time. All these things that are that are uh, right now, because kids stuff is right now. You know, you're figuring everything out and then you're supposed to be thinking uh, four or five dimensionally. Right. Yeah. No. And that's what it was. What he's anticipating that you didn't anticipate and therefore you're the problem. It's so tricky, too, because one of the things that I've come across since this everything happened is people, and I know people meaning well, but completely insensitive, saying, if it was that bad, why didn't you leave? And, you know, I sit here and I say, you know, not every day was bad. And it was part of this cycle of just the ups and downs. When it was good, it was really good. When we were getting along and communicating about the kids and when we would go on vacation and, you know, things like that, it, it would be good. Now, looking back to a lot of things when they weren't about him would be triggers for him. When we would go on vacation, I was the one having to pack all the bags, load the car, figure the hotels. Where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? You know, and it's like the minute I was like, hey, can you help me out? I'm exhausted right now. And we're all supposed to be enjoying this. There comes the attitude. You're just trying to ruin this. So it wasn't always bad. I know that even while looking over my shoulder constantly, even while second guessing everything, we still had really good days, which makes it even harder to sit there and say, well, yeah, I should just leave. Yeah, I should have just left, you know, because he was not a nice person. As an overall pitcher, he was not a nice person. Marriage is not just leave or stay. Marriage is a lot more complicated than that, and that's the way I looked at it. You can't always just allow one or two bad days to ruin the whole picture for you because you are trying to build something together. You are trying to build a life together, and you're learning and growing with each other and trying to figure each other out too. You know, And that's what I used to tell myself was, okay, we had a bad day here. You know what? We grew from it. Let's figure it out and move on. You know, let's try to make more good days. And you're trying to get back to the dream you had back in the beginning, aren't you? Of course. That's the underlying for everything. 
for everything, that we both wanted marriage, that we both wanted a big family. And when I say that it was kind of up and down and all around, at the core, I still felt like that that's what we both wanted, that that's what we were both striving for, even if we had differences at the time. So baby number two has got to be soon in this. Baby number two had happened through this. Baby number two happened November of 2012, a couple of months after he had just moved back into the house about a month before baby number two came. Baby number two came. Everybody was happy. We're getting into the holidays. He's on his best behavior. You know, it's good. It was, it had calmed down for a while. I think the shock, and I can't even say, because I really don't know what was going through his head, but he was just on his best behavior. I think he knew that he had messed up, especially by, you know, being out of the house for the two months and the seriousness of the conversation where I said, you put your hands on me again, that's it. We're done. I will involve the police. I will involve whoever I have to, to get you away from me. So he had been on his best behavior for a while. In 2016, we had finally gotten to a point where we could start looking to buy our first home. So we're all excited. We're making plans and what do we want and what do we not want and, you know, everything like that. And of course, just like everybody else, we had a budget. You know, one of the things we, that was very important to us was staying in the community we were already in. We wanted to stay close to his parents. His parents were still super involved. Mm-hmm. It was very important, especially to me, to have those close familial relationships. I was not very close with my family. When I was in my 20s, my family was kind of going through their own drama. My mother was dealing with her own things. My sister was dealing with her own things. And I kind of just distanced myself from them because I was dealing with my own things. I had my own place. I had my own bills. I had my own responsibilities. You know, I just distanced myself from them. So I didn't really have a close relationship with my family, but I did have a close relationship, especially with his mother. And it was very important to me. So it was very important that we stay in the same community. The problem with the community we lived in were the prices of the homes. It's like there was no like middle ground. You had either the really nice homes that had been completely updated that were way out of your budget, or you had the older homes that had good bones and just needed some work. Part of what I have noticed with him was a certain sense of entitlement. He felt entitled to the best things that he deserved them. You know, when, when he needed a new car, he felt entitled to have the best car that he wanted to have. What would that be? It's funny because it was never, he wasn't looking to go get a Lamborghini or anything like that, but where our budget was say $10,000 for a car, he had to have the $25,000 car and just kind of push our finances. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those things, you know, I kind of just learned over the years that there were arguments worth having and there were arguments not Mm -hmm. worth having. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You do pick and choose, you know, where I knew what a reaction, right. Where I knew what a reaction would be. So I didn't even, we'll figure it out. (laughs) It was, was my, we'll figure it out. One thing you didn't mention is that, okay, so he had lost his job. Eventually, I guess he's back working again, right? Yes. He did not work for about two and a half years. Oh my goodness. So all of the financial obligations and responsibilities were just on me. Therefore, you're 12 hours a day. Yep. He never openly said a woman's place, a woman's responsibility, you know, was the house, was the kids, but it was just kind of left to me to do because if I didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. But you're working and you're doing all of that. Yep. And I would work at night still. And I guess, what is he doing? Keeping an eye on how you're doing? Is that his job? Yeah, probably, you know, at, at the time. I mean, he, you know, don't get me wrong. He was so proud of himself. I was still working at night, you know, because the money was better and the kids would go to his parents' house still. And during the day, he would be just be so proud of himself. Look, I did the dishes. I helped you out. Look, I did. And, and, you know, finally I was just like, really? Because you don't live here too? Uh, You know, but I had, I had learned through fear of him to watch what I said. You had to congratulate him on those big wins. Yeah. So he is working while we get to a point where we're looking for a house. He started working again 
it was about 2015, the spring, January, February of 2015, when he went back to work. So just, just over two years and decent job. Now we're back on track. Let's go ahead. We're going to start looking at a house. His parents, bless them, were gifting us with a down payment. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, one of those things that caused some conflict with us is because I'm a very practical, realistic person. I've never been an overspender. I've never been. I'm just very practical because I, I grew up that way. I had to be, you mm -hmm. know, yes. we did butt heads about what types of homes we could or could not afford. We ended up with a home that needed work because it's what we could afford, what we could afford with our down payment and what we could afford monthly. And he hated that house. He refused to lift a finger. We closed on the house on my birthday, actually, of 2016. I was pregnant with our third. I was actually about eight months pregnant with our third when we closed on the house and I was just so excited. We had something of our own. Your first house, it's exciting, but it needed work. It needed work. We had about two months of time that we could work on this house. You know, the mm -hmm. painting, we had to, you know, open up some walls under the windows just to, you know, get rid of drywall and, you know, lift up some floors and do some yard work and stuff like that. We had about two months and he only came over to that house once to help me do work. And it was actually the day before I had our third child. <laughs> we worked all day at the house. Everything was good. We went to dinner that night. It was the next day that I had our, th our third child. And when I got home from the hospital, it's kind of like I just went right back to it. I started, I was still working on the house. I was having to bring the baby with me because, of course, he's not involved with the newborns, that kind of, you know, mentality. And me, I'm just thinking like, at the time, I'm thinking, okay, I could just take on the world. You know, it's, it's what I do. I just keep adding to my plate and adding to my plate. And I'm okay because when I get to a point that I can't carry any more on my plates as far as dealing with the house, dealing with the kids, I'll stop. You know, I won't add any more to it. So I'm okay. I never, I always looked at it as what can I personally do and what can I personally take care of instead of a we. Mm. It should have always been a we. Yes. But, yeah. you know, with his lack of involvement, it was never a we. There were times that I would ask him about that. Why don't you help out more? Why don't you do the, oh, because I have to get up in the morning for work. I have to, you know, my job is to bring home money. Yeah, but I'm working too. You know, it's, it was that mentality, that very old school, worn out mentality. Do you think that's something he picked up from his father? Was his father similar to that? No, actually his mother worked, I want to say until he was like nine or 10 years old. And then they were in a position because his dad was working two and three jobs where they said, look, between the kids sports, you know, it was him and his sister, you know, his sister was involved in soccer. He was involved in baseball. You know, there was all of the different activities and everything. His dad actually said, look, you know, they sat down, had a discussion and said, hey, we think it might be more beneficial to have a parent home full time to deal with more of this, we're going to have to cut back some because this is, you know, one of the things with only having one income, but they made that decision together. And his mother did stay home. Apparently, from what I understand, when they did talk to the kids about it, the kids weren't very happy because they said, we have, to, we're going to have to cut back on some things. We might not be able to go out to eat every week. We might not, you know, realistic things. And they weren't happy. Mm -hmm. So again, you get that, that sense of like entitlement that I'm owed something that kind of seems to be popping up a lot. Like I've said a couple of times, looking back and seeing a whole picture it is one thing you can say, okay, yes, I see someone that is so completely entitled. Like why? Okay. I see the red flags, how fast things moved. Okay. I see this and I should have left. But when you're in the midst of it, when you're in, in the depths of it, you can't look at it that way. You don't look at it that way. It's truthfully, it would just be adding one more thing onto your plate. It's something huge. Yes. Something unpredictable and huge because oftentimes when someone's going through something like this, they don't like it, but they understand it. And right. to a great degree, they're used to it. And what's behind door number two is a whole world that I don't even know about yet. 
I don't know how any of that's going to work out, but I just need to deal with today. I just need to get through today. Well, and that's, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a big thing why so many people don't leave. It's because of that unknown. And I know, I know for me, that was a, a very big factor of, I'm going to do what I have to do to make ends meet. If I've got to work and I knew his parents would still help with the kids if they need, you know, if I needed it, that, that, those concerns were not my my concerns. My concerns were what his behavior was going to be and what the reality was is if I were to leave him. Right. Sure. Because, you know, one example of that was in November, December, right around the same holiday time of 2017, we had put the kids to bed. Uh See, I'm still doing it. I had put the kids to bed and he says, hey, listen, we need to talk. And I said, okay. And I said, what's going on? And we're kind of, you know, we're in the living room, kind of sitting across from each other. And he says, I want a divorce. Oh, okay. I'm keeping my expressions. I'm keeping everything neutral, trying to find out, like, where is this coming from? I already knew what time of year it was. So it was just about time for that meltdown. Sure. He says, so, you know, just so you know, I can't do this anymore. I want a divorce. Um, I'm selling the house. I'm selling your car and we're just going to go our separate ways. Selling your car. We had, yeah, we finally upgraded to the minivan, (laughs) you know? So that was, you know, that was the car that he's referring to. He doesn't need your car. So that's makes sense, right? Yeah. I actually kind of stood up to him a little bit and I said, look, I said, here's the reality. I said, it doesn't work like that. I said, you can't just demand the roof over your children's head be sold because you've decided you're done. You can't demand that your children's transportation just gets to be sold because you're done. I said, it doesn't work like that. Not when you have children. You know, and I could kind of see like his bubble deflate a little bit. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what's really going on here? And again, it came back to the, you're not making time for me. My needs are not being met. And I said, do you, this is where I I really told him, I said, do you really have no perspective of how busy my days are? That Mm -hmm. we, you know, we have three children now. I'm with them all day. You know, our daughter was now in kindergarten, first grade, which means I still had two at home all day. I deal with all of the cooking, all of the cleaning, all of the doctor's appointments, any errands that need to be done all day. I said, and then you come home, I have dinner, I clean up after dinner, I go to work. Yes, you give the kids their baths. Yes, you put them to bed. But then I go to work. I'm not just lottie dying somewhere. I go to work for six to eight hours a night and then come home. And I'm tired. (laughs) Like what? You know, nothing in my head is a priority besides trying to get my head on that pillow to get a little bit, to catch up a little bit, because I'm going to close my eyes and blink and the next day is already starting. Mm -hmm, Sure. And again, it came back to just not having his needs met. It's a matter of me trying harder. It was always about me trying harder to satisfy him in our marriage. It was never about him. What can you do to fix this thing? Right. It was never about what can we do together to make your burden easier so that you have more time for me. No, no. It was always that demand. That was the first time he ever brought up divorce. And I told him, I said, marriage is not a game for me. I don't just get upset and want to break up. I don't play that game of every time you get upset with someone, you say you want to be divorced. You really need to watch how you use those words because the day that I ever look at you and say, I want a divorce, I want a divorce because I'm done. In 2018, we had our last child, a little girl. She was definitely going to be our last. I was 40 years old. I had just turned 40. And that was, you know, kind of the running joke that, okay, that's my cutoff line. You know, in 10 years, we had four children. We've got the big family. I'm 40 years old now. I'm done. You know, is is it now two boys, two girls? What do we have? Two boys, two girls. Okay. Two boys, two girls. That's, that's great. Yeah. Good balance. Good kids. I mean, we had really good kids. It was, it was nice. It was calm. 
in December of 2016, two months after we had closed on our house, right after our third child was born, Mm -hmm. his mother passed away. Oh, no. She had COPD, which had been Uh. diagnosed right before him and I had started dating, or right after. It was, you know, a very short time span from diagnosis. Over about five years, she declined very quickly. It was devastating. Devastating for you and your husband and all, or mostly you, you think? Mostly me. Mostly me. I was very, very close with her. He had something with his mother. There was just a hatred. Like when he would talk about her, just, I sometimes felt like he felt so entitled for what his parents could do for him or give for him, but there was never any sense of reciprocation, you know, any sense of like love lost. He always said he loved his father. He related closer to his father than anything else. But it just seemed him and his mom had a couple of blowups where it just seemed he would be like, you never support me. You never, you know, you always argue with me. There was just like a deep underlying like anger in him towards his mother. So even though he knew she was sick, there was no sympathy for her. Even though when she passed away, it just... He never had like a breakdown moment about his mother. He never said anything like, oh, I'm relieved. No, nothing like that. But there was just almost no emotion towards it. Do you think it goes bigger than his mother? Do you think it's his relationship to women? I do. And again, with things that I found out later on, absolutely. He has some kind of problem, a deep-seated problem with women. This concludes Barbara Walker's story, part one. Be looking for parts two and three on the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com.